Would you stand and listen for the word of the Lord? This morning from the book of Acts, beginning in chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him, and after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. This is the word of God for the people of God. We've been talking about people worth knowing from the Bible. Last week, we encountered a fellow named Ananias. It's the ninth chapter of Acts where his story is told. Luke is writing. He's the author of the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts is sort of the second part of his Gospel where he describes the development of the early church and gives us all these stories about people who were trying to understand what God was doing in Christ began to meet each other and talk and have these experiences of the risen Christ or of the Holy Spirit prompting them and moving them ahead with this new revelation that had come to them through Jesus. Well, last week when we looked at Ananias, he was already a part of Judaism and then becoming a Christ follower. But today we learn that Cornelius is a Roman or from a predominantly pagan culture. He would have been seen as an outsider, but not just as someone who was a foreign visitor who had maybe come to enjoy the weather or visit someone. He had come with the Roman army. He was a soldier. He was part of an occupying force. He would have not been seen as a friend, would not have been somebody that the Jews were fond of, for he was there to enforce the desires of the Roman Empire. What Rome wanted, not what the Jews desired or would have wanted. And yet he is there, and we have this experience that Acts tells us about, of this fellow who would have been seen as an enemy, somehow connecting with those who are followers of Jesus. So it is quite surprising what happens as we read through the remainder of chapter 10, because not only does Cornelius have this vision But so does Simon Peter, the disciple, the rock on which Jesus says he'll build his church. While Peter is praying, he has a vision and why he's still trying to figure out what this vision means because it's so different than everything he's ever been taught as a faithful Jew. These visitors arrive that Cornelius has sent because he had understood God prompting him to send these people to go find this Simon Peter and have him come teach them and talk to them. So he decides he will receive them. 
He understands that God wants him to receive them. He takes them into his home. He lodges them overnight. And the next day, they leave Joppa and head up the Mediterranean coast to Caesarea, some 25 or 30 miles. When they get there, Peter realizes it's not only Cornelius as an individual that he's going to speak with, but that Cornelius has gathered his whole household, all of his slaves his servants his family members and perhaps some other friends and neighbors are gathered there cornelius thinks this peter is going to tell them something really important and so he's gathered them all together later in chapter 10 and verse 28 is where peter begins to start not exactly a warm beginning he says these words you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. He's saying, I shouldn't even be here. He might be with his tone saying, I don't even want to be here. But I am here because I felt the prompting of God to come to this place. But Peter, after stating the traditional belief, says he understands that God is doing a new thing. Later, still in verse 28, after he says it's unlawful for him to be there, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And then a few verses later in verse 34, he restates the same theme when he says, I truly understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Maybe we can hear it even plainer in the contemporary English version. They have Peter saying, now I am certain that God treats all people alike. God is pleased with everyone who worships him and does right no matter what nation they come from. Or in the message version, it reads like this. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. I think it is hard for us to feel the full impact of this move, this shift. From the Jews' understanding that there are certain regulations, certain steps one must take to become a part of this covenant family of God. And now Peter is hearing this new word that despite how they had understood what God was doing, that God is doing something else now. It is clearly a proclamation that God is doing a new thing and the door is being opened to outsiders, to those who they had seen as out of bounds, unclean, unfit, those that they should not associate with. And now they're hearing this message that these people are a part of the family of God as well. It was a shocking insight started by Jesus as he reached out to those who were seen as unclean, those who were from different places, those who were marginalized in his own culture. And then with Paul and Peter, as we read through Acts, we see this 
movement of the Spirit of God opening the door, opening arms, and inviting others to come on in and be a part of this family. I began to wonder this week as I read over this time and time again, how are we doing with that? As Boston Avenue, where do we best reach out to people with different ethnic origins or from different countries, different nationalities? And I thought maybe it's through our television ministry. After all, anyone can watch. It's broadcast free out across the state and our neighboring states. We have no idea who all is watching unless they tell us. You could be any race, any ethnicity from any country and be a part of the worship here at Boston Avenue through our television. We try to reach out and say, you're welcome here. We are followers of Christ. We believe God loves us. If you would like to come and be with us, we want you to come and we will welcome you into this place. You could be a part of the body of Christ right here. And sometimes we do pretty well with that. Other times, not as much. But last week, I had a surprising experience. After the second service, I was out in the hallway shaking hands. A couple of our longtime members came by. They had a person that I could tell was from some part of Asia with them. I had never seen her before. And then they introduced me to her and said, she is a member of Boston Avenue Church. And I said, really? And they said, yes, you've never seen her because she lives in China. And then they went on to tell me the story that she, a few years ago, had come to Tulsa to be a visiting scholar at Tulsa University. And she was here for a semester, and, and she met a number of Christians and began to get curious and ask questions and have conversations. Through some of our professors at Tulsa University, she was invited to come and visit and worship at Boston Avenue. She came and found a, a wonderful and warm welcome. She still had some questions. She set up a consultation with Dr. Bill Kroll, who's on staff here. She talked about her questions and what she was thinking. He helped her clarify what she was learning and how this might fit into her life. She told him she wanted to profess faith in Christ and be baptized. And so he helped her do that, and she was baptized and became a member of the Boston Avenue United Methodist Church. She told me last Sunday that even though she lives in Beijing, that she feels like Boston Avenue will always be her church home. That for her, this is her spiritual home. She says, every time I come here, I feel so refreshed in body and soul. I always experience such a warm and accepting welcome when I come to Boston Avenue. It's just wonderful whenever I get to visit. She had been in the States for a conference, but had arranged to get to this part of the country for just a few days, including Sunday, so that she could be here among us in worship. I love that story. We did really well. It's marvelous how so many people from this congregation had been willing to reach out to her and support her and love her. 
But sometimes we don't do as well as that. Sometimes we're not as well prepared. I want us to notice the practices of Cornelius that prepared him to receive this new revelation of God that was so surprising to him, that took him in new directions as it did with Peter and with Paul and with others in the early church. If we notice these practices, I think they can help all of us be more faithful followers of Christ. Let's look at them. They're very compact in presentation. They're all in verse 2. I've read over this story time and time again across my lifetime. I had never noticed them. Then this week they sort of jumped off the page. The first one says he was a devout man who feared God. He was a devout man who feared God. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a Christ follower. But he had a sense that there was something bigger going on in his life oh he was part of a big army a big empire the roman empire the roman army biggest of all most powerful of all in his day and yet he sensed there was something more than that something transcendent that he needed to pay attention to he was a devout man who feared god then secondly it says he was a devout man who feared god with all of his household So he not only thought about this in his private time, it wasn't just a private devotion, but in some way he shared it with others. He talked to his relatives, his family members. It sounds like he talked to others who worked in his household. They knew that he believed in God. Perhaps he was asking them questions. Perhaps he was telling them about his belief in God and his sense that there was something bigger at work in the world. It's somewhat of a move from a private devotion to a more public kind of sharing of faith. But the third practice makes his faith even more public. It says he gave alms generously to the people. He gave alms or offerings generously to the people. Now he was in Palestine, in Caesarea. The people would have been the Jews. So he, here he is, Roman army, foreign country, coming basically to keep them under control. And it made me think of how often when countries are in conflict, how we dehumanize and demonize the enemy and see them as someone to be killed or subjected. But apparently Cornelius saw their needs. And responded out of his own resources to give them what they needed as he could. He gave alms generously to the people. I dare say he saw them not just as subjects, but really as people worthy of respect and love and care and dignity. Then the fourth practice, Acts lists here is that he prayed constantly to God. That one kind of bothers me. He prayed constantly to God. How do you do with that? I'm not so good at that. I mean, I start most of my days with a prayer time, a quiet time, devotion time, read some scriptures, say prayers, get refreshed and resourced by God, listen if there's some prompting from God, a word from the Lord that I should pay attention to. 
But that's early in the day by about noon or three or five. Sometimes I'm worn out frustrated and conflict has come and decisions have had to be made and people are not pleased and I'm not really praying constantly right then I don't know how it goes with your day but it kind of convicts me to hear that Cornelius prayed constantly to God it's a challenge to me to do better to see if I can Live more in that mode of conversation with God, of recognizing the presence of God with me all through the day, every moment, each minute, and stay in touch with God's presence alive in my life. Make sure I'm in tune with what God wants me to do. I think Cornelius is a person worth knowing. I think these practices that Luke tells us that were part of Cornelius' life are important for each of us to think about as disciples. I've put them in your outline and kind of highlight them first, second, third, and fourth so that you could review them through this week. Look at these four each day this week and do a little self-assessment. That's my suggestion, is that you think about these four things that Luke tells us about Cornelius, that he was a devout man who feared God. And think about where you are with your devotion to God. How are you doing with that practice? If somebody followed you around, would they know that you were devoted to God? That you believed that God was at work in the world and you were trying to cooperate with what God was doing for good in this place that you're in? And then it says, with all his household. Are those around you sharing in faith with you? Do they know about your faith because of what you say and how you treat them? A devout man of God with all of his household. And then he gave alms generously. Gives us an opportunity to think about how we're doing with our giving. And if we're willing to share what we have, to share out of our resources, to help someone else, to serve somebody else, to make an offering to someone who is in need, that needs some help. The Bible talks most often about orphans and widows or giving alms to the poor. How are you doing with that? Where are you with what you keep and what you make available for God to use in the world? Then finally, this constant prayer, this idea that we could be in continuous, constant conversation with God, looking for God to lead us at all points of our day, trying to make decisions in keeping with God's will every time we have to make a decision. How is that for you? I just suggest you keep the outline, glance at it each day, do a little self-assessment, and see if God doesn't help you with that. I would suggest you ask God, if you, if you know the area where you need help, ask God for that help and expect God to respond, just like we see throughout the book of Acts, but particularly today in this 10th chapter for Peter and Cornelius both. They felt God leading them, prompting them, 
And it was a blessing to them as they responded in faith to that leading. But I think they had an expectation that God might speak to them or lead them since they were both in prayer at the time. These four practices or characteristics from Cornelius centered him, grounded him. I think it is safe to say they had shaped his life and formed him in such a way that he was ready to receive this new revelation of God's transcending love going across those things where we normally see walls or obstacles or barriers reaching out to people that normally we would ignore or think were our enemies or not worth noticing that this God loves all of those people and is opening the door and inviting them in to the family of Christ. Peter heard it. Cornelius heard it. If we use these four, I think they will center our lives and prepare us to receive perhaps a fresh dose of grace. From our ever-loving God. May it be so. Amen.